0: Today on the show, we get an update on the Kewka Nation dispute, discuss possible changes in the city of Geneva, and even take a look at the presidential race as it stands following Super Tuesday. I'm Josh Derso for F1 News, and this is the Debrief Podcast. Uh, joining me in studio this morning, Jackie Augustine and Gabe Petrazio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are. Good another morning. day. Good morning. And the the presidential uh, race is continuing. The primary process is continuing. Um, the the first sort of, I guess, let's start with just some uh, follow-up thoughts. Um, from Super Tuesday, uh, what was sort of the big takeaway from the day? And then afterwards, I've got a a, a, a frustrated reader who, who sent me a question who <laughs> I wanted to throw at you guys um, as well. But first, Jackie, uh, sort of broad takeaway from Super Tuesday and, and what we saw play out.
1: Um, well, I was really surprised by... Biden's performance because um uh, of all the candidates, I just have found his debate performances to be the least inspiring, and um I just I would have liked Joe Biden four years ago. I think that's that was his time to run if he wanted to run, but mm-hmm. I just i don't know he gives me. The kind of the creeps. I don't know how to Mm -hmm. to say it. I just, I I don't, I'm not enthusiastic about him as a candidate. So I was really surprised that, I mean, you've got Bernie Sanders who, um, you know, was arrested during the civil rights movement and has just been kind of consistent in his positions his whole life coming up against Joe Biden who's been on the wrong side of some really critical issues. And, I mean, I... Liked him as vice president. Uh, you know, I have nothing against him as a person, I guess, but I just thought it's so clear. I was, I did not expect that. I did not expect that. But I think if you actually look at the numbers, if you combine like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who are what I would consider like the left lane of the primaries, if you compare their results, they're over 50%. You know, Joe Biden is pulling ahead with with thirty one twenty nine percent of or, you know of the primary vote, and that I guess is what makes you a front runner. I I don't know. So I was a little disappointed, and it took a turn I wasn't expecting.
0: Isn't it interesting that it, to me it seems that so much of the focus is on who can be who's electable in November, and not necessarily who actually aligns with. Whatever the Democratic Party is right now Because it doesn't really seem like If you're looking from the outside um, That, you know, Biden is a good reflection, I guess Of what the Democratic Party is right now At least from a value standpoint And a voting record standpoint and all of that So it is interesting I also found the 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 fact that here we are Post-Super Tuesday And the two frontrunners are both closing in on 80 yeah Mm -hmm. and that is like i i don't want to put too much emphasis on that and i know some people think that it's sort of you know (laughs) cheap to go there and to go down that road but listen at the end of the day this person has whoever is elected has to be has to be capable of serving for four years and then potentially for another four years after that and i just i i don't see a scenario where this ends favorably for the democratic party if they go the route of choosing someone who is that old already well
1: though but it's not like they're running against a 40 year old i mean no, no they so, they're running
0: against the oldest president right, in history right so
1: but. i don't know that necessarily <laughs> that the fact that the democratic nominee will be old um, is a disadvantage because it's just going to be old guys one way or another <laughs> um, but i the electability issue bothers me. And it's because I'm not a consequentialist, right? I don't believe you should make decisions based on your predicted outcomes because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, half the people I talk to who say, well, we've got to go with Biden because he's the only one who can win, are also the people who told me that Trump would never win. So nobody knows what's going to happen. There are so many variables Things that we're learning about and things we still have no idea are even in the playing into this. Mm-hmm. So for anybody to say, oh, well, I'm not going to vote my principles. I'm going to vote what I think is expedient because I know what's going to happen. Play the lottery then. I mean, if you actually want to improve your life, do that because you don't know what's going to happen in the election. But don't play the lottery either because you're don't. you not going to win because you don't, That's you don't a waste. know the future. It's a waste. Yeah. Gabe, you uh... cannot predict the future. <laughs>
0: Uh, your your sort of takeaway, your, your big takeaways, I should say, broad takeaways from uh, Super Tuesday. Of course, no voting took place here in New York State, but we're talking about this because it's pretty much been the only thing in the news cycle for the last 72 hours or so.
2: You know, I, building off of Jackie's point, I agree with you. I was shocked with the resurgence of Biden coming back from South Carolina at first and how that he really came back from the dead, so to speak, at that point. I think also what's really interesting is that, yes, Biden won quite a lot of states. Handily won places like Alabama and things of that sort, but um, did not necessarily do well in Texas or comparatively speaking to Sanders. Texas, Maine, I think, was also another really contested state. And I think it was Michigan or, yeah, Michigan, I think it was. And so it's interesting to see that what would have happened if Warren dropped out of that race to see where those votes would have went because she was obviously the third runner in all those states that were bird, um, Bernie lost, essentially. So I think that'd be really interesting to see because Biden won narrow-edge victories in those states of the six that he captured on Super Tuesday.
0: So a, a great piggyback off that point. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, Suzanne from Canadago writes us to say, I, I am a frustrated Elizabeth Warren supporter who isn't confident in Biden or Sanders. Uh, where does Super Tuesday leave the Democratic Party? That's her question. Um, and the reason why I wanted to read it was because it sort of seemed to be the the, the broad takeaway, obviously, after we got word this week that uh, Warren was, in fact, bowing out of the race. Um, she still holds a lot of power. I mean, she mm-hmm. has delegates that will undoubtedly um, be useful to some candidate down the road. Um, I, I wanted to get your perspective, Jackie, because I, I could only imagine, and we talked a little bit before the show started um, you had that big, big grin on your face because it, it seemed like, for someone who was the front runner last fall, like Warren was, that this is an incredibly peculiar turn of events to get to a point where she is the one who's bowing out of the race and not Biden or Sanders. Because it seemed like if you, if you are, and this is maybe this is just my opinion being infused in, if you were looking for the balance of sort of both sides, I guess, of sort of the the centrist and the the true liberal progressive part of the party, it seemed like Warren was the answer. And here we are, mm-hmm. and she's no longer in the race.
1: Yeah, it makes me sad. I, I really like Elizabeth Warren. I think she is a public policy powerhouse. Like, she knows her stuff. She is able to explain it in a way that's relatable to people. I mean, some of her um, descriptions and analogies are great. I thought even her, her spoofs on Saturday Night (laughs) Live positioned her well. I mean, really captured the fact that she knows what she's doing, right? She's the mom who's going to take care of everything. And I think that um, it's frustrating because I, I I am a Sanders supporter um, and I, I do like Elizabeth Warren and I was kind of hoping that there would be some merging of the two of them on a ticket, one or the other uh, leading the ticket. But I think given her public policy commitments and the, the way that she has really stayed committed to what, what she believes in, um, there's no way she can endorse Joe Biden because that would just undercut, because, I mean, she keeps saying, you know, there's no, we don't have time for small ideas. I mean, Biden, the moderate, let's just worry on, you know, winning this election and we'll see what happens. That is the small idea. That is the smallest idea. So I'm hoping that Warren supporters come into the Bernie Sanders camp and say, yes, this is the conversation that needs to keep going because even if Biden ends up being the nominee, it will be impossible to ignore the need to take things like health care, child care, student loan debt seriously, right? Because if if everybody just goes to the middle, um, those ideas won't get the traction that they really need.
0: Is there any cause, and I'm curious, what, what have you seen that has when democrats were going through the say the early stages of sort of deciding what they what they wanted or or what they didn't want mm-hmm. what separates a bernie sanders supporter from an elizabeth warren supporter because it seems like a lot of people on the outside or even maybe some people in the on the democratic in the democratic party can't really parse that out even though it seems like both sides are very dug in and both 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 individuals have a very like cult like following in terms of just how, how strong they feel about the, the individual.
1: Yeah, I think from from people I have talked to who really liked Bernie Sanders but didn't like Elizabeth Warren, which I find a strange <laughs> position. Um, what they were saying is Elizabeth Warren won't say that the entire system is broken. But you know if you actually listen to Bernie Sanders carefully and study what he's actually proposing, Um, he's not saying that our American democracy is a broken system. He's saying that the way in which policies have been crafted to benefit people at the top is broken, and that is consistent with Elizabeth Warren's message. I do think that um, people like the idea that Bernie Sanders is and has been independent – uh, that he's not beholden to the same donors. He did not, you know, he doesn't want um, super PAC money. He doesn't want dark money. And that Elizabeth Warren was a little bit more willing to go that route in order to get the job done. And, but that's really the only difference I feel between the two of them is that, you know, she, her approach was more moderate, even though I think her ideas are just as big. Um, as Bernie Sanders are.
0: So my personal question, and I guess we can just sort of have an open discussion about this. Um, My question is what, I want to say this carefully, what difference does it make who the person is unless we see a scenario where one party controls all three arms of government i think the last 12 years have been a pretty fair indicator of just how little actually gets done we have like these little chunks of time over the last 12 years or so where like year and a half to 2 years stuff happens whether you're you're you know on the right or on the left the the first 2 years or maybe the the 2010 to 2012 years for obama when he had both chambers controlled and then the first two years of the Trump administration, even though that was kind of fumbled. If you're, if you're on the right, you know, there was a lot of opportunity left on the table. What is like, cause I hear this from Bernie Sanders supporters all the time and they say there is no, and I actually I listened to a lengthy podcast yesterday, Evan Dawson's program mm-hmm. on this topic. And there's sort of the, the, the Sanders camp seems to be saying we need bold action. And I can't help but think to myself, if Bernie Sanders is in office, or if Joe Biden is, or if President Trump is in office, and their respective party do not control the other two arms of government, that we are going to continue to sit in this go nowhere, status quo, until something gives to a point where there is like an actual desire for both parties to work together. Because it does seem like that is entirely, entirely lost. But it just seems odd to me to hear these, these camps talk about bold action and how we need this, this change element, but not really acknowledging at the same time how difficult it's going to be to accomplish it once, once in office, I guess. That's the, and you know, it's, it's the pragmatic annoyance, I guess, that I've had with, with watching government for the last like six years or so. If if all the stars don't align, nothing happens. And that, maybe that's why we're where we are, but is there, Jackie, I guess, do you see that being discussed at least?
1: All the time. I, I hear, I mean, people who don't agree with me about Bernie Sanders say all the time, he's never gonna get anything done. How's this even gonna happen? You know, he's saying all this, but, and I guess I just have a different view. I don't believe any president can come in and get their entire agenda done by themselves. That's never happened. It's never going to happen. It shouldn't happen. That is not how our democracy is structured, for one branch to just push everything through. Um, What I think Bernie Sanders can do, or any good president should be able to do, is to speak to everyday people in a way that makes them pressure their representatives to do the right thing i mean the thing i like about bernie i don't want to make this like a pro bernie sanders thing i'm just i have to say i have come to the conclusion in just complete in front of my face that um the problem in the world today is people's cowardice right people who are afraid of what other people think of them in the case of politics getting reelected they are so their ego is so caught up in a notion of acceptance or praise that they lose sight of doing the right thing they have no moral compass that's guiding them they just do whatever is feels right to them at the moment or not right but good and so i think a leader who is able to tell the public hey uh you got to demand more. You've got to use the currency that you've got. The currency you've got is you've got elected officials who want to stay in office. So how about you tell them, if you want to stay in office, start working for me. And people will say that the turnout numbers have not shown that Bernie has been able to mobilize people. But I disagree. I think if you look at his rallies, if you look at town hall meetings... Now bringing forward ideas of universal health care, student loan debt forgiveness, the message is is getting out there, and there is more pressure, I think, on local, regional elected officials now uh, to answer about some of these things. And that, I think, is the best you can hope for in a president is that is the messaging and the call to action.
0: Right. But
1: I know that's an unpopular view. <laughs> I don't mean I'm.
0: And there's it's a, not, a long it's too naive, long. but. We got a long way to go um, before this process is fully played out, and and of course we just sort of touched on it here. We'll be talking more about it as the next uh, couple months play out. Um, end of April, April twenty eighth is when New York votes. That'll sort of be an interesting time to see who not only who's who's left standing at that point, but also, uh, you know, where where the the thought process is on on what's going on there. Um, now let's shift over to probably the. Uh, most resource-heavy story that that we at FingerLakes1.com have covered in the last uh, probably two or three years. Um, The latest on the Kewka Nation dispute, so many questions, and so many questions have been answered, thanks in large part to, Gabe, your reporting um, over the last, say, seven days. Um, How do you For someone who maybe has been living under a rock or maybe just sort of been watching this from outside of Seneca County or the immediate area, how do you sort of summarize this story and and explain to people what's going on and then also show them just how many moving parts there actually are still seven days later after what was probably one of the the more uh, contentious weekends uh, in the Finger Lakes?
2: You have a big ask for me today, then, to run through, (laughs) (laughs) it. But I guess um, to start it off, I think one of the important things is, so two Saturdays ago was when the demolition took place, and how that there was a raid on the properties, which was approved by, allegedly, the Cayuga Nation Tribal Court, and the sanction, which is under Clint Halftown, the Halftown Council, which is the federally recognized BIA, or the Bureau of Indian Affairs leadership, technically speaking, as they as they put it, went in, uh, apprehended, zip tied, um, and basically dragged these people on and watched them, uh, made them watch, excuse me, how, you know, their properties were destroyed. So in total, 12 properties were destroyed on five different parcels of land, which are all fee land, which are not in trust, meaning that they're not technically recognized as reservation land for the Cayuga Nation. Although the Cayuga Nation argues that It, in fact, is their territory still, even though the government says otherwise or the local government at this point. So that's –
0: I just want to pause. For everybody listening, that's flashpoint number one. That's
2: Sorry. Well, and so I think that's really important to understand because we're having issues of jurisdiction on this front. And what does this mean for you as citizens of Seneca County? What does this mean for the Cayuga Nation and their allies and also for the Cayuga Nation police, which are in question as a security force that was hired out of Indiana with an organization called Pathfinder and G2 Global Solutions. So I think these are important questions that we're having that we're trying to scrape the service on here at Finger Lakes One. But then moving a week forward, after all the demolition took place, there was permits issued by Seneca County to essentially allow the bulldozing of the properties. They're still working on it. I just went there before I got here today in the studio, and they're working on it. The Cayuga Nation Police are still out there. They're still operating in those fronts. And then there was a press conference called By the Cayuga Nation Condole Chiefs, which are essentially the traditional leadership of the Cayuga Nation, comprising of people from Canada, which also complicates it because there's a jurisdictional issue with who is represented in this Cayuga Nation. Clint Halftown says that the Cayuga Nation, which is over the Grand River, which is past St. Lawrence River in uh, Canada, with the Mohawk tribe and the Cayuga tribes, um, don't have jurisdictional claim to the United States and to this part of the Cayuga Nation. He doesn't believe that they're a part of that Cayuga Nation. So they call a press conference right in front of the ruined remains of the Cayuga Nation property. And it was peaceful. There were protesters there, there were signs. The state police actually mobilized a command post. And then afterwards, about 20 minutes or so, a brawl ensued after a few members of the Cayuga Nation um, walked over the property essentially. And then they were met with hostility because they were technically trespassing on that property. It was being held by the Cayuga Nation police. They were met with nightsticks and batons and things of that sort, also uh, pepper spray and tasers. And then at that point, uh, multiple members of other nations, so the Oneida, Onondaga, and Seneca, were all apprehended. They weren't arrested despite media reports showing and a statement from the Cayuga Nation Police saying that they were, in fact, arrested. They were actually held and detained for a while until they were released on their own reconnaissance, essentially. And one of those, a fourth member, which was Charles Bowman, he's a member of Seneca Fa- uh, County, he's from Fayette, and he was held, and he's a non-Indigenous person, and they're supposed to release them, as Lee Alcott said today on our program um, with a segment that I did with him a few days ago, said that they're supposed to release them in the local uh, custody of local state police, which in fact wasn't the case, as the ambulance records show. He was released um, to the ambulance, North Seneca ambu- uh, Seneca ambulance, basically uh, by himself without local law enforcement by them. So the Cayuga Nation did it was a handoff. Yeah, it was a handoff, essentially. So he went to Genera, uh, Geneva General Hospital, and he suffered you know, a broken nose. He lost a tooth, uh, bruised ribs, contusion, and a concussion at that point, at least. And now he's filing suit with the DA, and and it's still evolving. And then the third point we bring up is that there was a call-out. So the Grand Council, which is the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, which is not necessarily a federally recognized entity, but it comprises of federally recognized nations like the Oneida, Onondaga, Seneca, Mohawk, Cayuga, and the Tuscarora, they all agreed in consensus to send men from the Onondaga nation, 40, 30 to 40 men or so, to come to Seneca Falls, specifically the Cayuga territory, to protect families, uh, specifically women and children, from the efforts of retaliation possibly on that front. And also on top of that, there was a call out made to Mohawk communities, which brought the attention of the Kemawake Warrior Society, which is a group of men who are also involved in Canada, uh, defending British Columbia from the the Wesoetan tribe, the First Nation tribe up there, from uh, a pipeline that's being built in natural gas. I believe it was Coastal Link or something of that sort. But they're also involved there, and they're now in Seneca Falls, and more members are coming. There's estimates that originally there was only 30 to 40. There seems to be hundreds that are coming at this point from uh, downside insider sources that I've been working with on that front. And obviously a concern is whether or not this will re-escalate, and we're watching that very closely at this point. But sorry, that was a long run-through. But hopefully <laughs> I didn't is, lose you. No, that, that, that's, great.
0: that is uh, it is a great snapshot of the work that you have done over the last two I weeks. It's been a big ask, and, and it's been impressive to see how this has all sort of – when it's all laid out there. The, the questions that we end up having afterwards. So, like the, the question that we keep getting over and over again, you know, does the Cuban Nation Police Force have authority? Mm. And it's interesting because my takeaway from this, and, and I've been working a little bit with you on, on certain parts of this because my focus was mainly on the government side, the, the Seneca County government side, and the local, the local side of it. It, to me, and I realize that both sides at this point have, have waived their legal papers and decisions and say that we are right, we are right, whether you're the county and you're saying that this land is uh, effectively fee land, which means the Kewka Nation police do not have authority on it, or if you're on the other side and you are one of Halftown's uh, uh, lawyers and you're saying, hey, look at we've got these, these decisions that say tribal land is subject to you know this type of authority backing up from that, both of those arguments feel like untested legal theory, because mm-hmm. it seems like you have two you know, two sides that aren't going to budge. Mm-hmm. You have the fee land to land into trust application, which is still, it is, as I understand, on uh, the the desk to be signed by one of the federal arms, I want to say maybe the BIA or Department mm-hmm. of the Interior, one of the two. Um, but it has not. And it has not for a, a long time. This is not new. Um, so to me, and that that action, I should add, will will um, trigger another set of of legal another arm of legal battle for this whole this whole situation. Um, it feels untested, and my issue with allowing things to escalate as they have, with sort of all sides stepping away from it and saying, hey, we, th- we aren't sure what is what. Mm-hmm. So if you're the Seneca Falls Police Department, if you're the Seneca County Sheriff's Office, if you are the state troopers, you don't know who actually definitively has authority over what. And it just creates this. And I realize they are doing their absolute best to make sure that everyone who lives in the area and make sure that Seneca County residents are safe creates this scenario where there is a public safety risk. Because a decision hasn't been made effectively by the federal government. And you also have this issue where you have the halftown faction and their, their legal representation saying, we are the, the federally recognized leadership. Hmm. But if you go back to the letter where that, that sort of begins, that, is, that also might be sort of a shaky ground to try and make an assessment like that.
2: It's certainly in question
0: yeah There's i mean you've no you've got a that. scenario where essentially the federal government is saying, hey, look we we are recognizing uh, the halftown faction as the the entity that we're going to pass federal funds through to fund the Cuba nation, mm-hmm. um, but that does not translate to Cuba nation leadership like that That's this, right. you, like mm-hmm. the the tribal side of this has not been worked out, and it's just interesting because you know. The the federal government, despite this story getting national attention, literally we're we're talking. You interviewed, and it was a great interview. You really should go back and listen to it if you're interested in this story. Uh, your interview with the indigenous rights lawyer in Seattle, Washington, is incredible because it, it shows how much traction this story has gotten across the board, and yet we still see the federal government not doing anything. And it's just incredible. And it's funny, Jackie, you, you, you joked when we came in because you were reminded that a long time ago you wrote a column about this, apparently, and you, it, you had even forgotten. But that shows you how long this has been rolling on for, you know, basically two, two full decades now.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it used to be the case that there was a real fear that... Um, there, was, there were going to be land seizures and, uh, you know, all of this was, was up in the air, was undecided. And then, um, interesting, this kind of ties back to our prior discussion about our own elections here, um, you know, the the method for selecting uh, a tribal leader is for the elder mothers of the community mm-hmm. to select someone. They did not select Cliff Halftown. Um, That's right. And I have to say, this is the problem when you ignore the wisdom of the women in the community, right? Because <laughs> who, who, what leadership believes that the right thing to do is in the middle of the night to demolish property, right? If First of all, if, you, if something is required you know it's the right thing to do, you don't do it under the cover of night, right? You do it in the sunlight. If, But, I mean, that destructive element, to me, the actual human story, the human cost, um, gets lost in the legal wrangling in the jurisdictional issues. Because, I mean, you have people whose livelihoods are threatened, not just economically, but personal safety, sense of well-being, not knowing, I mean, the idea... I can't quite express enough how aggressive that action is and what kind of ripple effect of fear that sends through a community. So I you know, I don't know what the answer is. My heart goes out to all the people being affected by this who have to wonder is it anything goes? Are we in a situation where anything goes? Could the Cayuga Nation police force do whatever they want? Can they do whatever they want? That's the question. And that is the question. And it does, I agree with you, it seems like somebody has to step in with just a basic declaration of human rights and say, here is what's off limits. Here are the boundaries. And let people know, here are the things that will not be tolerated, Mm -hmm. whether that requires federal marshals, state police, you know, Seneca County Sheriff, Cayuga Nation officials, other tribal security forces, I don't know. But there has to be a boundary, and no, there is no leadership. There is a mm. complete vacuum, not just within uh, the Cayuga Nation, but, but regionally, state, and federal, right. of anybody mm. saying, I'm sorry, this is out of bounds.
0: Well, and that was one of the things that sort of boggled my mind was that you have— this scenario, where say you do take the argument, and I've heard plenty of people make this argument on on uh, on Facebook and other places where it's sort of discussions and debates about this have been flowing, it was Clint Halftown's property. Mm-hmm. He can do what he wants with it, and all I can think to myself is, for a guy who is supposed to be the leader of this group of this this population he had to demolish his own property in order to take possession of it. What, what does that say about your leadership status? Yeah, like, you have been trying for the last five years to reclaim those properties, and, and you very, very carefully crafted a press release immediately afterwards saying you, you took back your property, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you literally had to level buildings to get your property back. Well, and you had to leave families, and this was the thing that we heard immediately after the initial demolition, families within the Cuga Nation who were literally worried about whether their home was going to be next because right. they're they're essentially renting mm-hmm. from uh the, the half town faction, the Cuga Nation. It 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 yes, the vacuum element is real, but the human the human rights side of this is also the part that I feel like is getting lost um unfortunately because you're talking about you know you're talking about an underrepresented group you're talking about mm-hmm. a group who doesn't have a voice through the traditional means and and that is the part that you know as we've gone through um covering this story from start to finish that's sort of been a big a big sticking point for me personally is is trying to ensure that there is you know adequate representation of of that side of this of the human side of this because we're you know bulldozers and and demolition of buildings that that gets clicks that gets eyeballs but i have been equally amazed at uh how much how many eyes and how much readership uh the actual the the human side of it has received but there's there are so many of those stories to be told that it would just be it would almost right. be impossible for us to tell them all but um so i guess gave my my f- sort of throwback question to you to sort of figure out where this is going um, and maybe a little bit of a tell in terms of where our coverage is probably going to end up after this week what do we think is what what are sort of the things that we might see obviously there's the unknown with with maybe some different groups coming into seneca falls to sort of uh, help the traditionalist uh, the traditionalist side Um, but what uh, what else might we see next week next weekend the week after that
2: you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some form of escalation. I mean, we have people on the ground that, you know, they are saying that they're peaceful. They're here to protect their families and their communities and things of that sort. But obviously things can go awry. And I do think that there is a possibility for that. And it's something that we shouldn't rule out. I think something that's really interesting going back to the jurisdiction issue is this piece of legislation. It's called 25 U.S. Code 232, which was in the interview today with Lee Alcott which he addresses when I asked him about if he was aware of this, which essentially states that New York State has the jurisdiction to prosecute crimes regardless of whether or not they are, in fact, on reservation land or not. And he said that this was not a viable legal strategy or an argument. And I asked him, and I pressed him on that, and I asked him why specifically, and he said that no one at the state level or any of the people that you've spoke to, at least in your reporting, indicates that they would use such an argument. That was his justification, that was his response to my question. Now, Because it hasn't happened on Finger Lakes 1. It apparently won't happen in a court somewhere. Well, that's the question, too. <laughs> and this is going back to what your point and Jackie's point is, is that someone does need to step up. If right. they really do care, if Chuck Schumer and if Kirsten Gillibrand, who have been talking about this in the national media and also Tom Reid are also you know, pushing on this issue, saying that this is not okay and that we need to address this and we need to resolve this conflict that's going on in Seneca Falls, then they should enact that. They should use that. The state level should come in and say, well, then let's take it back. And also the other aspect, too, is that the deed is in the name of the Cayuga Nation. Yes, Clint Halftown may have purchased those lands, but at the same time, it is in the Cayuga Nation. I think that's also really interesting. And to go back to the conversation with Lee, the real key interesting thing that I'm looking forward to in the future to follow up on in the long term is that they're looking now, as they call it, they're in a process of rebuilding the nation And this is how they put it to me when I asked them about what is the future, what does this look like for the rest of the Cayuga Nation on behalf of the Clint Clint Halftown Council. And he said that we're looking to rebuild the the nation in the future, and specifically they're looking to buy more properties. Like you said with the land seizure aspect, is that they are looking, in fact, to continue buying more property in Seneca Falls, to continue developing and expanding the Cayuga Nation through the land acquisition process. Because the fact that they lost the lands during previous treaties and selling off the land, now they're trying to regain, reacquiesce those properties. So that is something to look forward to on that end to see how many more properties are in fact acquired by the Cayuga Nation. And they are in fact not under Clint Halftown's name. They are the deeds do represent them as under the Cayuga Nation, which is really important to contextualize as well.
0: So Backing out away from that, we're gonna move into Ontario County now. Uh, Geneva City Council this week had a meeting mm-hmm. and I wasn't there, but one of our reporters, uh Todd Elsey, was there and it was it was an interesting meeting. Um, one thing that I that I noticed from his reporting uh that that came from the session was that there will be what they defined as i believe working sessions yes
1: work sessions. the yep.
0: first monday of every month moving forward right so like two days before yeah that was city an interesting day makes.
1: to select i thought like it usually i've been on councils that have had work sessions in the past and it was usually the the third wednesday of the month right you meet the first wednesday you Balance do the regular business yeah. the second or the third wednesday you come in and you talk about what came up at that last meeting that needs more attention, what's gonna come up at a subsequent meeting that you want to get more information about, or any new things that just didn't fit in the kind of normal uh, rhythm of the the regular meeting. This one's gonna be two days before the meeting, which the concern I have about that is that what you don't wanna see a work session be is the opportunity where people actually show their cards, and then when they come to the official meeting, they keep everything close to the vest, right? right? Because that is not good for democracy. I'm hoping that won't happen. I still have a lot of optimism about this council. My general view, watching them, is that they're still trying to figure it out. They're trying. You've got a lot of new people. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of rush to action without um, what I would consider to be due diligence so that concerns me a little bit because i think it's a little shakeout of egos right people are trying to position themselves um frank galanese i you know i don't agree with what he's saying but i kind of feel sorry for him and the picture that ran with the the finger lakes one story was great because in the picture he's looking at his phone and i think that kind of summarizes what's going on there are still some people out in the community that are trying to influence this council to do certain things that didn't get done during the last group. And this push to somewhat privatize or um, or reconfigure DPW, uh, there are some vested interests in the community that have been trying to work on that issue for years. And they're off council now. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the photo. They're off council. He, he's not looking at the computer. Those of us who were at the meeting kept wondering, why is he on his phone? So I I do think, and he can tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong, I do think he is getting some marching orders from people in the community who used to be on council and aren't any longer um, that – don't want to come say publicly at the podium what they're thinking but still have this agenda that that they think well the new people maybe can do it and i don't like that i don't like that now could I'm it be a person, frustration am i frustrated no it
0: could oh. it be frustration could that sort of that not desiring to to be fully engaged in the middle of the meeting because if see here's my thing i and the night before i sat through three-and-a-half or four-hour meeting in the town of Sednick Falls, and it's one of the topics we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But like, to me, it is really hard, whether you're on city council, town board, whatever the case may be, or you're a member of the public, to stay engaged for four straight hours. Oh, sorry. so you're
1: asking me, (laughs) do I think he was on his phone because he was bored or frustrated? No, no. And here is what I'm thinking. When I hear him speak... It sounds to me, just as a professor um, for in the classroom, as the person who was given a summary by somebody else and is trying the best they can to repeat it, but they didn't do the reading themselves, so they don't know what they're talking about. And that is what I'm worried about, because that has happened in years past. Um, there have been city councilors who got briefings from other people in the community, private Companies, other interests. Hey, bring this up. Here's the issue, and i I could be i could I could be wrong about this, but every sign points to the fact that um, that's what's going on with this DPW issue. So, I guess my recommendation would be um, that each counselor is as independent as possible. That if you care about an issue, you've got to dig into it yourself. You've got to test if what people outside of counsel are telling you is really true, if that tracks with reality. And if you think there's an issue, yeah, go for it. Bring it up. Be respectful. You know, don't, don't yell at each other. Um, but bring it up and lay out your case. Show the data, show the evidence, and, and put forward a policy position. But don't use someone else's ideas So w- without doing your, your homework.
0: This, as an outsider, this, this DPW thing seems to have come out of nowhere. Yes. Um,
1: Not, I mean, to the public, yes, but this has come up many have, times.
0: Have yeah. their, okay... So, I guess for, for those who might live outside of um, the city, what are some of the issues that is there like, was there an incident or was there some kind of thing that happened at some point where it w- it served as kind of tipping point where this discussion started to happen in various parts of the community? Or is this just sort of a, a because if you look at it from the outside and it feels more like an, an effort to kind of like decentralize, I guess certain components of the way public works works?
1: Yeah, I don't actually think this comes from the community in general. I think over time there have been some strong personality conflicts within the DPW department. Um, I think that those have not been totally resolved. So I think you know anytime there's an ax to grind someone's gonna say this is the way it needs to be done and and that's it. Um, But I also think that there are private interests, other companies, who see that if if Geneva were to feel frustrated with DPW, they might enter into a public private partnership agre- agreement. So follow the money. I think that there are influences in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, I don't think anybody in Geneva would say that uh, they are entirely satisfied with DPW. I think pothole complaints, um, grass cutting complaints, abound. Right. Mm-hmm. However, um, I think that the way to address those issues um, are being kind of conflated with this other underlying agenda that's being put forward. So that's my concern. I didn't actually see – I don't see the DPW discussion as that big of a deal because I don't think it'll go anywhere because I don't think you actually have anybody putting forward real proposals because nobody's done the homework. And that is, that's more what frustrates me, because that came up on several issues that city council was dealing with. Um, I understand it doesn't pay anything. I mean, you know, you get paid 10 cents an hour, maybe, when you're at a meeting, but it, and I know it's a part-time thing, but at least when you're getting started, it's a full-time job. You've got to give your attention to getting up to speed, and... You know, we're a couple months in, and I guess I am expecting maybe a little bit more, uh, again, you know, due diligence before some of this stuff hits the floor. Uh,
0: another, just a quick update on another um, issue in Ontario County that we had covered last week. Um, Mary Krause, county administrator, uh, went on paid leave last Friday to deal with a personal matter, according to uh, board chairman uh, Jack Marin. last night. Uh, The Ontario County Board of Supervisors met. Um, We have a story up about that. Todd was there, and it's uh, we didn't get an actual update on the why or anything else. They did go into an executive session, but that is it, it feels like that is where this is going to be left. Um, Todd did ask in follow up uh, to uh, Chairman Marin if. there was, and what the sort of barometer was in terms of uh, thought process on Kraus coming back. He'd said it was a I don't know, we don't know situation, so we'll wait and see. Um, that is where that stands. Jackie, do you have, have you? This was one of those things that came out of left field. If yeah. you were, if I guess even if you were in Ontario County, if you were outside Ontario County, it was really out of left field. Um, what. Uh, What has been the reaction? Have you heard any reaction since the news broke last weekend that, uh, that she was on paid leave?
1: I had just thought maybe there was some medical thing or something. Like, I don't know. I've not heard anything that would, um, make me have any cause for suspicion about her leaving. I mean, sometimes stuff happens, uh, However, I do think it's a pretty turbulent time for Ontario County, so it's not, um, y- you know, it, it, if there are other reasons, they ought to come forward with them, because I think in the next coming months, there's going to be more pressure on the county to actually, in terms of Casella, respond to multiple yeah. breaches of the con- to the contract, and to find out if there's ever going to be any teeth to what's going on. That came up at city council. Um, I think people are – patience is running out, and you really – it's not a good time to have interim leadership.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, another topic that I wanted to touch on, um, the town of Seneca Falls. Everybody knows how much I love talking about Seneca Falls. <laughs>
2: um,
0: town board met this week. Met on Tuesday. It also was a marathon session. There were 30, 34 or thirty-five agenda items um, under new business alone. Uh, the town considered, or the board considered, a bunch of different things. A couple, a couple points. I want to, I want to hone in on here. Um, the town manager debate briefly came up again it came up at a workshop session last week which was on a completely different topic but it briefly came up um, and then it came up again and uh, the board it would seem if I were sort of taking a gauging where the board would vote present day on whether the town of Seneca Falls needs a town manager or not uh, would be 3-2 to vote it down and to vote against it And the three board members, uh, who would be voting against it, my, my assumption here, and they can correct me if I'm wrong, would be, uh, Doug Avery, uh, Dave DeLaylis and, uh, Steve Churchill. Now, interestingly enough, there was from the, from various parts of the group, there were questions raised about whether the town needs something like that. Um, and I wanted to kind of use the meeting to contextualize that that, that question. Uh, if you have 30-plus agenda items on your agenda and you have effectively no full-time management humans uh, working in, in town hall, you aren't going to get things done. Things are going to slip through the cracks, or you're just going to repeatedly debate the same things over and over and over again. I do, as a caveat, think the town of Seneca Falls should consider Creating a monthly workshop workshop session, however it seemed it, it seemed a bit contradictory when councilman churchill uh, when he proposed that a workshop workshop session be held on the town manager concept uh, to get the public's input and to sort of have the board talk about it as well and bat the idea around uh, he made it very clear that this month would simply not be doable in terms of scheduling, and maybe they could reconsider it next month. Yeah. It's funny. When you have a group of people, or a person for that matter, saying, we don't need a manager, but me as town counselor or, or town supervisor, I don't have time to do this. It's the ultimate contradiction. And look for a column in the Finger Lakes Times next week on this topic because it drives me up a, up a freaking wall. Um, <laughs> this has just been... It's been the thing that has stopped Seneca Falls from being able to really maximize the good things that are going on. The issue for the last five years has been the town board. And this town board right now as it sits, the way it navigates a meeting, it is very clear that this is not a board that's going to get things done. It just isn't. Um, I think there are, I think all Every member has their 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 pluses and their minuses, so to speak, their ups and downs. Um, they have good points, some they all at various times brought up good points on various things, but they they don't seem like the kind of board that's going to be able to get together and really get things done unless it is that sort of coalition that was formed during the, the last election cycle um, which, by the way, is split by party lines. Um, it is just this this fundamental thing. I guess that that Seneca Falls is stuck dealing with now, that for the time being um, you know govern the wheels of government are going to move really, really slow. I do hope that i am I am hopeful that if a public workshop is held that the uh, the town board will um, see the light at the end of the tunnel and they'll see the benefit that having a manager would offer them to be able to. To work on policy mm-hmm. and to actually see the things that they are very passionate about, get finished and get done, um, how you finance that, why you finance it, what the price point is, I think those are probably the issues that come up next because I think there's a, a pretty significant contingency of folks in in Seneca Falls who feel like you know we 're a little town or this is a little town, why do we need? a town manager, but at the end of the day, if you look at the services that the town is providing and frankly, the size of the town, it is at the very upper end of, of of what towns are. It is a very large town with a pile of services. And at the end of the day, you do need some sort of management figure and it can't be the town supervisor. It can't be the town supervisor at you know $12,000 annually. It can't, like you you can't expect that. And especially when you get into these scenarios where you you ultimately have folks who are retired or, you know, really just looking for part-time ways to give back to the community, you can't put that burden on those people. You just can't do it. And this may feel a little ranty, but at the end of the day, um, it's one of those things where, you know... There's so much to be excited about in Seneca Falls, especially with the DRI win and how progress is being made there. And the town of Seneca Falls has the potential, at least, to look very different in you know two, three, four years. Um, you'd just really hope and you'd really like to see the community also, at the same time, have a government that, that works well, that gets things done, and that doesn't trip over itself and get hung up on... on sort of uh, almost what feel like personal grievances with each other rather than the, the issues of the day or the issues at hand. And Jackie, feel free to intervene and tell me I'm completely wrong if you think, as someone who has watched Seneca Falls up close and, by the way, written about Seneca Falls before, right. <laughs> that Seneca Falls isn't a great candidate for a town that oh. should have a manager of I kind.
1: Yes, we've been saying this for a long time. I mean... Good Lord. If anybody needs organization, it's the town of Seneca Falls, because look at what's going on. I mean, we could start with the landfill or we could leave that the big elephant in the room, right? I mean, if you don't have a point person for major negotiations, for interactions in terms of state funding, for your department heads to report to on a consistent basis, then you have no accountability you have this diffuse accountability structure now granted i am not saying that a town board that has a town manager abdicate abdicates its responsibility no always the buck stops with the elected officials policy. however well, however policy <laughs> right elected officials should be elected to set the policy of the community and to hold an administrator accountable for getting that done in an efficient and effective way. I don't understand how you balance both. I mean, I can't imagine the city of Geneva without Sage and Adam, right? Like, I, I mean, you know, a, a city manager and assistant manager makes sense. Now people would say, well, Geneva is a city and it's bigger and it has, you know, more things to manage. But as you were saying, Seneca Falls has a lot of moving parts. I was stunned that they received the DRI given the governing structure or lack thereof. Right? I didn't understand how they can be effective stewards of $10 million. I looked at how that worked in Geneva and it was not a perfect process. I don't understand how Seneca Falls is going to take that money and distribute it in a way that taxpayers can feel was a confident and well-chosen investment. Now, I'm sure they'll find a way. But, yes, they need a town manager. Yes, that is a good investment. If you select the right person and the town board actually holds them accountable. You can't just be doing what Geneva used to do not Matt Horn going back before Matt Horn Geneva used to hire these city managers and just say well there's the expert let them do it and then we can all go home no I mean you have to get the kind of dynamic working between a board and a manager who can actually see the big picture but still administer the day to day um I don't even know See, if
0: there's. Here's the thing: you that, should do it because, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> the interesting thing to me is that these comparisons between Geneva and um, and and Seneca Falls—it's fascinating. Like people look at Geneva like this, this gigantic mecca, this thing. Like I, I live. Full disclosure: I don't live here anymore. I live in Rochester, and that's just that's life. Um, but the flip side of that is is. The population of Seneca Falls, depending on where you look and, and sort of what you're considering the actual boundaries, is like between, say, 7,000 and, and 7,400 and maybe like 9,000, depending on what the specifics are. The population of Geneva is, I want to say, between twelve and 13,000-ish. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're talking about maybe three or 4,000 more people and all of the same services, Seneca Falls has a police department. They have all the public works things. They have the the rec department. They they have all of the same components right. and they're slightly larger. And yet the town shouldn't have a manager? That just it doesn't it doesn't job. No, I really don't it's understand the, the argument work.
1: for not doing that. I mean, uh, the best argument for hiring a town manager for Seneca Falls is the large mountain of evidence showing that lack of a manager has failed yep. not having a point person not having an actually trained public administrator right. in the in the mix has not served Seneca Falls well over the years. Why is Seneca Falls repeatedly getting rolled over by Seneca Meadows? Because there is no one who has the background and experience to come to the table in a meaningful way well, on that in, issue. In,
0: we didn't even mention the the audits, right?
1: Right. right. I mean, That's...
0: the the town is now, and and one at least one public public speaker at the meeting. Uh, addressed the procurement policy and the issues that are inside of that and how m- it may or may not be followed to, to perfection. Um, that was among m- many findings from audit reports that were released last year when the comptroller's office came in and, and went through an exhaustive search of, of what Seneca Falls was and wasn't doing. I mean, you have all of this evidence to suggest that not only would it be right and good but it would also make everyone's life easier right. if you had someone, like you said, not just a random person, but someone who actually has the experience to go in the the public service experience to go in there and actually like administer the the, the town and the government because it's it's just lacking. Anyway, that that rant went on a little too long. I feel like. Um, that about does it. That is everything we have for today, and it has been an hour. We just we killed it, guys. We did it. <laughs> um, thanks to both of you for coming in. Uh, we will be back, and we'll do it again probably uh, next Friday, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and in the interim, uh, check out the FingerLakes1.com app uh, if you are looking for the latest headlines and more from Gabe uh, this weekend and right now on the Cayuga Nation story. See you guys Thanks for watching or listening. The show is available on Spotify and Apple podcasts, as well as YouTube. Visit www.fingerlakes1.com debrief to check out archived episodes or to leave us a message for my guests in studio and the rest of the fo one news team. Have a great weekend and we'll catch you next time.